Talking Books on News Talk 106 to 108. of the novel at the end and I remember as an undergraduate being set an essay question you know the, the cause of Anna's tragedy is not rooted in social norms and it's still a matter for great debate um, is Anna's tragedy due to the fact that she's shut out by society um, is it to do with uh, the way in which women are treated in the 19th century? Is it because she has some personal flaws which come to the, um, to the surface as, the, as the, the novel proceeds? And I think one of the things which Tolstoy does so brilliantly is to actually explore all kinds of different situations for women. I think he is writing a love story, but he's also writing a novel about love and about romance and what people expect from relationships and how marriage is basically a very difficult thing, how, how difficult it is often for, for men and women to, to actually live together. And that reflects his own experience. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. The memorable, if a little unsettling words of Russian novelist and scholar Leo Tolstoy from the epigraph to Anna Karenina, published in book form in 1878. Hello, how are you? And you're very welcome to Talking Books. I'm Susan Cahill. It's lovely to have your company this evening. What makes a great love story? Well, tonight in Talking Books, we're devoting the entire programme to answering that question with one of the giants of 19th century literature, Count Leo Tolstoy. This evening, I'm joined by writer, academic and translator of Russian literature, Rosamund Bartlett, whose understanding of Tolstoy, his complex psychology and literary imagination is second to none. Tolstoy doesn't actually give us any answers. He provokes us in all kinds of ways. And I think... Another really remarkable thing about this particular work is that whenever you read it, you can come away with a completely different reading of it. And even for me, between the different drafts of my translation, I found different uh, things that I hadn't quite noticed before, or I read it in a different way. And that's, uh, that's an amazing thing, isn't it? So what is it about Tolstoy's Anna Karenina that so transcends the ages? Is it really a love story, and a very messy one at that? Or is the novel more an investigation into the institution of marriage, social rules and adultery? And ultimately, was it Tolstoy's unique psychological insight, his emotional depth and tenacity as a writer that made Anna Karenina the classic it is? Uh, Well, my name's Rosamond Bartlett. And I'm a writer, scholar and translator, specialising in Russian cultural history, 
with a particular focus on literature and music. And I started out writing about opera, about the influence of Wagner and Russian culture. That was the subject of my first book. I've written the literary guide to Russia with a friend of mine, Anna Ben. And more recently, I'm probably I'm better known as being the biographer of Tolstoy and Chekhov and as the translator of their prose. I've um, translated two volumes of Chekhov's short stories and the first unexpurgated edition of his letters. And the most recent thing I've done is to produce a new translation of Anna Karenina for Oxford Wells Classics. Big wide open question for you, Rosamond. Do you think it's fair to say that Tolstoy rewrote the history of Russia? And what I mean by that is that he created a very intimate, uh, reflective and, and so very personal history of Russia. Well, I think he, in a way, is the embodiment of Russia, the personification of Russia. So, yes, uh, he was very much a Russia recast in his own image, though, because he had a very specific interest in certain aspects of Russian life and absolutely zero interest in others. So you won't find any reference really to political activism. It's sort of dismissed uh, when he writes his great novels and you find very little reference to the kind of burdening middle classes, I suppose you you might call them, at the very um, end of the 19th century. He's someone who who really writes about his own class, which was the nobility, and his great interest, of course, was the Russian people, the, the peasantry. So it is a fairly one-sided view of history that he, he writes. Why do you think it is that when some readers hear the name Tolstoy or any of the great um, Russian masters that they go, oh Jesus Christ, no way. Do you think it's that they're intimidated by the length of the book and not necessarily the storylines? And within all of that, do you think somehow what we have been brought up to learn about the likes of Tolstoy, that in some way it is this very heavy and academic and very dark presentation of a, a, a true, true imaginative of genius that we're getting? Mm, well, I think there are lots of things at play and they're not terribly helpful, actually, because if you pick up a novel by Tolstoy and start reading it, you just get completely carried away and you can't start reading. And I think that's um, not just my reaction. So I think Russia historically has always had a very, you know, troubled history and a difficult history for its people and literature has always performed this really important role in Russia by being a kind of second government. I mean that, that's sort of not the case now but you know for most of the imperial period and the uh, Soviet period it was definitely the case and that meant that there was a kind of moral uh, imperative to all the literature so it was serious um, and it meant that writers were aware of their status and the ones who were really good felt that they had a mission to tell the truth. So in Russia, there are two words for truth. There's one that we know through that Soviet newspaper, Pravda, which is the sort of literal word for truth. And there's another one, which is Istana, which is the kind of deep truth which underlies uh, the, the sort of superficial one. Um, and 
Russian is a language which often has more than one word for things that are particularly important. So uh, given all of that, it means that if you're reading a Russian novel, it's, it's more than just a novel. It's not just a story. And a lot of these great writers in the 19th century, particularly Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, actually tell you how to live or they investigate the whole question of how to live and the meaning of life. So that is a bit intimidating, isn't it? And they are long novels. And it's a country with a lot of bad weather, as Voltaire said. Uh, it was winter for nine months and bad weather for three. So it's, it's, you know, it's a long way away. It's uh, historically been cut off from us by its strange alphabet, its different religion, its um, difficult political situation often. And I think that can be uh, off-putting to the reader who doesn't know their works. And you can tire of the sort of seriousness and the snow and the cold. Uh, even I do. I, I started learning Italian uh, some years ago just to have a kind of balance <laughs> in my life because there's a sort of elegiac tone as well to a lot of Russian literature. However, having said that, I'll go back to what I originally said, was that, you know, you start reading and someone like Tolstoy in particular is just so, so unbelievably easy to read and you feel he's writing about you. And that's a really remarkable thing, given that we're in the year 2016. There are books that really are for a lifetime, really. They're friendships, if you will. One thing that strikes me about Tolstoy is, as a writer, he had an extraordinary insight into male-female relationships and the complexities and lures within it. He had a remarkable marriage himself, and I know he had 14 children, and he had difficult chapters in his marriage to his wife, Sonia. Do you think that really was his magic as a writer, his deep understanding of humanity? Yes, undoubtedly. I mean, that's why we still continue to reach him today, because he somehow engages with moments of emotional crisis in the lives of his characters, which are the same kinds of emotional crisis that we deal with now. And, you know, humanity doesn't really change that much. And that is one of the, the great joys of uh, of, of music and literature and, and art, that uh, there's something that we can draw from even if we're living in a different country in a different age. And I think Tolstoy was someone who actually was more than anything interested in his own psyche. And I think a lot of his writing life was a kind of way of documenting his own psychic evolution. And that unbelievable forensic investigation into himself ended up giving him insight into everyone else as well. And uh, you could see actually him in all the characters in Anna Karenina, for example, uh, not just the male, male ones, but the female ones too. But uh, he was an extraordinary um, observer of the human condition, there's no doubt about that. A bit didactic and hugely philosophical in parts. Do you think in some way we can describe Anna Karenina as a love story? Or is it really about social conventions and norms and about circumstance and fate? Because while we do get loads of hot emotions and romance, we get a massive amount of how society imposes conventions and roles on men and women and how that we all have to play those games, don't we? Well, 
it, it is a love story, but it's just it is very, very much more than that. And I think Tolstoy could never have been just the author of a love story that didn't engage him sufficiently. And if you look back at the composition history of Anna Karenina, you see that he had many run-ups before he could really launch himself into the first draft. And he had this idea of sort of a breakdown in marital relations as a sort of germ of an idea. But soon he wanted to bring in other characters. And he obviously knew the earlier examples of the European novel of adultery. You know, Flaubert's Madame Bovary is the most important example. But he sort of being Tolstoy, wanted to go one better. And he wanted to really write about Russia and write about the things that exercised him. And Russia was really undergoing huge change at the time he was writing Anna Karenina. It's a novel that's set in the present day. So the character of Konstantin Levin, who is in many ways his alter ego, is there to act as a kind of counterpoint to the story of uh, Anna and Vronsky. And it's, it's Levin who has to start thinking about how to apply all the new ideas uh, that are coming through as a result of the emancipation of serfdom. You know, the whole relationship with, uh, with his workers, you know, he, he no longer owns his serfs because they've been freed. And yet the serfs, um, or the now the peasants, don't really know how to relate to him either. So it's a very, very uh, interesting period in Russian history. And Tolstoy is, is deeply engaged in all those issues because he's someone who believes very strongly that man should live on the land. And so it's these chapters that are set in Levin's country estate that you can see really gave Tolstoy the most satisfaction. And also, I would say they are by far and away the most beautiful passages in the novel, too. I mean, I've um, been amazed as a translator, realizing that you'd expect the most beautiful passages of Anna Karenin to be the ones which concern, you know, the great romance of Anna and Ronsky. And yet, actually, the most lyrical chapters are those ones where you know, spring is bursting around Levin in the countryside. And Tolstoy goes into huge detail about every single blade of grass and all the different aspects of, of um, the, the earth coming to life after the long winter. So there's an awful lot in there. And he's also really interested in the, the sort of pernicious impact of technology from the West. And so there are all kinds of other characters who are brought in who discuss them with, with Levin, and uh, they also include his brother, who's dabbling in socialism. So um, there's very much more than just a romance at the heart of this novel. It's interesting how you describe how he paints pictures of the rural countryside uh, and so on. But, you know, we sometimes think of our writers as these one-dimensional figures. And he was very much a very spiritual man and loved the countryside and lived a lot of his life in the countryside. So it's possibly what we don't expect from somebody who's intellectually as interrogative and rigorous as he was. Sure, it's not. Um, I suppose. I suppose not. Uh, it's. I mean, Tolstoy was a very practical man, and he's he's interested in actually the practical question of how to live. And 
he himself, yes, as you say, was, was living in the countryside and he wanted to know how, how best that relationship could work. And uh, there are some really delightful chapters when, you know, Levin goes out mowing with his peasants and he wants to see what it's like. He really experiences the land himself in a way that perhaps his uh, forebears would never have done. And um, that goes on. That's a sort of theme all all the way through the novel, right down to the conversation in the apiary in, in part eight, right at the very end when they're thinking about what's going on with uh, the awful situation in the Balkans, because the, the novel ends with Vronsky going off, off to war and volunteering for the, uh, the Serbo-Turkish war at, at the end. Now, in your introductions to the Oxford World Classics, Anna Karenina, you write... Anna Karenina is one of the world's greatest novels and possibly Tolstoy's finest artistic work. And you go on to suggest that Tolstoy's existential despair throughout the writing of Anna Karenina possibly explains or at least impacted on the novel's brilliance. Can you talk me through that? Because I find that very interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. It's, it's quite a dark novel, this. Unlike War and Peace, which is you could say, a kind of pastoral work. It's one that looks back nostalgically to the era of the great Russian nobility in the beginning of the 19th century. And, you know, unusually, this was a novel that was written in the 1860s, and all around him, Russian writers were concentrating on current events. And there is Tolstoy looking back to the engagement with, with Napoleon, and it's a very historic work. And Anna Karenina, by contrast, is very much rooted in in the present. And it's very easy for us to take for granted things like railways and trains. You know, they were a novelty in Russia. The first railway didn't start in Russia until the 1840s, and it was very small. And it was only really in the 1860s that they began to actually seriously build railways. And Tolstoy found the arrival of modernity in the form of railways very depressing. Uh, there was a railway station near his house, and once you've got railways, you've got the possibility for people to commit suicide by throwing themselves on the tracks. And that um, was actually one of the spurs to the, the, the writing of the novel. Someone of Tolstoy's acquaintance did throw herself on the tracks uh, near to where he lived. And yeah, I hadn't known that. And reading through the introductions, she was an Anna also. And Tolstoy witnessed the autopsy, wasn't that it? That's right. He went to the autopsy, yeah. quite quite right. So the, that's, that's a sort of dark note yeah. from the beginning. And there was an also a lot of darkness in Tolstoy's life during mm-hmm. the writing of the novel. This is the years 1873 to 1877. He lost both his elderly aunts, one of whom he was incredibly close to, who had been kind of mother figure for him because he'd been orphaned at the age of seven. And both these aged aunts had come to live with Tolstoy and his family in their last years. And so that was bleak. Uh, And losing them was the last sort of link with his parents and the whole age of his childhood. That was hard. Then he had two sisters-in-law who lived very nearby, one of whom he was particularly close to, who both lost children either in childbirth or or very soon after they were born. And then he himself uh, lost 
children. Uh, Sonia, his wife, um, had a stillbirth, and there were two of their children who died at a very, very young age during those years. So that's already quite a lot of death, isn't it, <laughs> if you think about it? And Anna Karenina is striking in that there is one chapter which actually has a title, and it's death. <laughs> it's, the, it's the death of Levin's brother, Nikolai, and he is based on Tolstoy's two elder brothers who um, had died in the 1850s and uh, early 1860s. So there's all that going on, and there is increasing tension with his wife for various reasons, and Tolstoy's wife, Sonia, was half his age. She'd given up a whole life of going to parties in Moscow where she'd grown up to come and live with Tolstoy deep in the countryside. You know, there weren't any telephones in those days. There's certainly not mobile phones or anything, um, any kind of communication other than a, a letter. And so she did feel very cut off from people her age, and she was immediately given charge of the household and was having children and being the housekeeper, and it was hard for her. And Tolstoy wanted her to keep having children. He didn't believe in birth control, and she got peritonitis during the writing of Anna Karenina and didn't want to get pregnant again for understandable reasons. And you see all of that reflected in Anna Karenina too in the chapters when Dolly goes to visit Anna, and Anna tells Dolly that she is uh, taking contraception. That reflects real-life events, too. And so the the marriage is beginning to come undone already in the early 1870s, for that reason and for, for other ones as well. And Tolstoy is getting depressed uh, at this point as well and is thinking increasingly um, himself of, of suicide. And he writes uh, later on in his life that, you know, he, he'd actually gone to the uh, extreme of actually hiding rope, lest he one day, you know, really took matters into his hands and, and ended his life. So he has lost his purpose in life. And, you know, writing War and Peace had taken a huge amount out of him. He'd spent a lot of time working in education and, and really felt very unsatisfied as a novelist. I mean, it's hard